0: economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University.
1: Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes and here with me are our hosts, Dr. Russ McCullough Dr. Levi Russell, and Dr. Clark. We also have our undergrad assistant, uh, Jacob Caudill.
0: All right. Well, welcome. The long-awaited listeners, you wouldn't know this, but we've been kicking the can similar to the topic today for a long time, and we're going to talk about Brexit. And uh, we started thinking we were going to talk about this like two months ago, and then similar to what's happened, continued to kick the can down the road. So a lot of things going on for the Brits in breaking away, from the EU and um, Jason, why don't you start off giving us a little background on what you got, and we will kind of chip in with a little bit of the history here.
1: Okay, so Brexit, kind of like the name suggests, is the United Kingdom, Britain, leaving the European Union, and so they they barely won the vote to leave. I think it was like fifty-one point some percent uh, voted to leave, and that that was a while ago. They haven't officially started it, but there were two different sides, so we've got the skeptics and the pro-Europeanists who were on, who have kind of been battling it out, trying to win votes to leave or not leave the European Union. So,
2: yeah. So, the, I would say to just to piggyback on that. So, the vote was held in the summer of 2016, and this was kind of a, an earth-shaking kind of thing sort of like the the Trump election in the sense that, you know, it's this resurgence of populism and, you know, I can remember people, you know, strangely comparing this to like uh, the Confederate States breaking away from the union in the U S and being called, you know, slave pro slavery and all this weird stuff. And so then roll all that hype into Trump is elected but what' what supposedly had happened there is that that triggers what's called article 50 and then there has to be a negotiation between the the British Parliament and the the European Parliament and the, the on the terms of that that break and what you have seen is that that the the, the, the remainers what they're called they're called remainers because they wanted to remain in the EU um, they have argued that the you know, the, the public was not well informed about what this actually meant because those would be like the, the haters, right? Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I suppose I, you know, I, I, it was really strange to see sort of the libertarian Twitter verse uh, about this because I mean, I, there were people excited about it and there were people calling everyone racist over it. And it was just, really... so the, the European union as it exists today began as a sort of, uh, free trade agreement. And it just sort of built and built to where there, there's actual governance coming from uh, Brussels, which is the, the location of the European Parliament. Um, and there's,
0: there's 28 states. I just did a quick, right. I wouldn't have known okay. it off the top of my head, but there's 28. Uh, they say a population of about 513 million. So we have about 350 million in the United right. States. So By population terms, it's bigger than than the United States. It covers
2: Western Europe and and pushes into Eastern Europe, is essentially what it is. But
0: never, ever was meant to be the cohesion of the United States of America by any stretch. I mean, I take that back a little bit. There might have been some people that were going to try to head that that direction. That was
2: certainly some of the rhetoric that you got from the Brexit folks. Uh, Nigel Farage was, you know, he has been, it has been his mission to get this done over the last 10, 15 years and it, and it finally worked. Um, you know, but, but his, some of his rhetoric was always, you know, the, the, the folks in Brussels, their end goal is a, is a United States of Europe. That's what he would say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I think there's some, there's probably something to that because they're, uh, you know, the European Union has been talking about building an army and mm-hmm. you, you just don't see, you know, I mean, NAFTA doesn't have an army, right? right. So right. it's, I have it's never kind of heard of army. Yeah. Potentially, so. so it, you know, and and the well, euro that's a, because
0: it's so hard to untangle fiscal policy and monetary policy, and I mean, yeah. all these things are so interdependent.
2: Well, and that, that, and they, that was what was always interesting about the UK is that when they brought in the euro, a common currency for this this whole you know political body,
0: yeah.
2: the UK did not did not do that, and right. so the UK still has its the pounds. pounds are still there, yeah. right? Um, and so you know, there, there's all these uh, little things, but to bring you up to date right now, the biggest fights now are sort of all this fighting over the election that's coming up. And so Boris Johnson is currently the, the prime, minister. prime minister. Yeah, there we go. The prime minister. And he replaced Theresa May, who was a remainer, but then she said she was going to get the Brexit job done and she didn't. So they had a big vote of no confidence and they switched her out for someone else. And so as of right now, I just pulled up a daily mail article with a new a new poll from today the labor party which would be mostly remainers i would say these days they were surging in the polls but the conservatives or the tories uh, another word for them they they've managed to hold on to about a 12 point lead meaning that they would get if if this poll was accurate they would get about 44 percent of the seats in the parliament Mm. Um, and so they would the idea is that you know well corbyn Jeremy Corbyn and, and the Labor Party is going to come in there and, and you know, break this whole thing up because there are people are complaining, well, you know, we've got to have a deal with Europe. Uh, and if, because if they don't have a deal, then, you know, the terms of trade go really bad. And everybody's, it's, it's really this kind of interesting thing where the left is talking a lot about um, economic issues, like poor trade deals and stuff yeah. that come out of this. And then you have the right uh, sort of talking about things like sovereignty and uh, localism. And yeah, and globalism, Kinda. right? Yeah. So yeah, there, there definitely Did is a Did you say local
3: or global? I said
2: localism. Local, that's what I thought. Yeah, okay. it's yeah, just yeah, the, yeah. the antithesis, right? Yeah, 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 yes. So you're right. And, and, and it's, there, is, there is sort of maybe a traditional, I guess, quote unquote, traditional left-wing thing in there because the status of people who are French citizens living in England
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, would be sort of cast into doubt now. It's like, well, what, how, what does this really mean now? Are they yeah. illegal now? Or you know, how is that going to be dealt with? you know, there are questions and, and I think the the big remain push is to say that, well, all of these things are just unconscionable and there's no way, you know, we have to, we have to vote again. Right. So this is the, this is the thing. Well, people didn't know what they were voting for or, you know, it was such a thin margin or yeah. blah, blah, blah. And so they want to have another vote. And, and, I think,
0: and to me, uh, part of that, it seems like, <laughs> well, doesn't their sentiment count? In other words, I totally agree they nobody probably thought through, nor could they think through all the complexities of it. but if the sentiment is breaking away, maybe they ought to do what they say and just break away, and nobody guaranteed that it had to be a peaceful break or a, a break without harm. Right. Cause I, I think they refer to that as the hard brec- Brexit, right? It's right. Like, hard Brexit is oh, no deal. We're done. Let's right. just, no let's deal. just start from yeah. scratch. Right. And,
2: yeah. and so we just, and so they have to redo all of the agreements away. about, you yeah. know, the flow of people, the flow of goods. I'm not
0: so sure that wouldn't be a better thing. To do. I, I think well, a hard Brexit forces you to not try to undo everything that you've done in the past that may be a mess anyway, and just start fresh. I think, I think people give up on a clean break in life. Let's just have a clean break. Start from scratch. Jason, Jason, you got some?
1: Uh, Yeah, I was just going to add. So you're talking about the clean break, but there's also some issues, not only with like a large French population, but uh, there's an entire agreement between Northern Ireland and Ireland that will be disrupted Hmm because of the Brexit.
0: Now that one's a little more internal
2: too, right? Well, Northern Ireland is part of Britain, but Ireland is not. And so, you know, this is the whole, the Irish, the Irish Republican army and all that sort of thing. So that was, this is the the current state of that uh, So if we did
0: a hard break there, it might just be civil war or something.
2: Well, because Ireland (laughs) is part of the, is part of the European Union as well. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know what exactly would happen there.
3: Oh, well, unless you were bringing up that some, what would happen in a heartbreak, maybe that would just be better. And, you know, maybe I've been watching the wrong news sources, but from what I understand, there's all these EU citizens living in Britain and a bunch of British citizens also live, living in the EU. Yes. Um, and they would all be killed, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I think, well, and... I, to That's me,
0: just it. I mean, uh, I yeah. think people, like, once you start to go down that, jump into the abyss to say well what about this what about this before you know it you said what about like a hundred thousand times and now we're where we are today that it's a year deferred well, or whatever and
2: we have to remember too this is a referendum right people were voting and it had extremely high turnout and so there's there's a lot of class conflict stuff in here um, we have the remainers basically saying like oh this is just you know old uneducated stupid white people from you know the midlands you know they don't know anything and so you also get um the I elites mean, didn't have enough say in it. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> London London didn't completely take over everything. So um, you know what I think is is also interesting about it is is that you know, we, we talk about well, they didn't know what they were getting into. And it's like, well, anytime you elect a politician you have absolutely no idea what you're getting into. Like, I mean the joke the running joke is a politician's lie. Well then if I if I vote on you based on your promises and you completely change your mind, we just consider that normal. But in this case, like somehow the fact that not everyone has a you know a PhD in political science somehow we have to redo the thing, and if that's an argument for having poll tests,
3: you know, people don't know what they're voting for. <laughs> then maybe we should have poll tests. But I take it that's not the argument. <laughs> so oh my God. you know
2: what? Uh, so you Jim Crow in the UK, huh? Yeah,
3: well, this idea <laughs> that you know when the elections go away that we don't like that all of a sudden oh the people didn't know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that that is a really really. Good way to lose popular support of the legitimacy of your
2: government. Yeah, Yeah. Um, if you're willing to say, well,
3: you know, heads heads I win and tails you lose. Right. This is. I
2: think that's why Corbyn has done so poor. Like labor surging, but it's like they're they're getting cut off because you know people are. I mean, other things I think are happening too in the UK. But but you're right. I think it's like people are just like, wait a minute. You know, we voted for this. This is just the way it's supposed to go. Um, You see a lot of polls saying that, like even even remainder voters are saying like, you know, I mean, we lost this is the way it's supposed to go.
0: I haven't really heard if you guys have on if they did a, kind of a hard Brexit, let's say, of of some sort. Are there people on the other side of the fence, the other EU partners that say, we're going to boycott you or we're going to we're not going to cooperate with you? I mean, have they drawn a hard line in the sand? Jason, you got something on that?
1: Oh, I was just going to throw out that there there's a bit of issue because, uh, like Levi was saying earlier, there is a lot of people from the UK and other countries and a lot of other countries that are in the UK. And so a lot of it is like jobs because you're able to move freely between countries through the EU. And so that's one of the things that would really, I think hurt the UK is that young people, especially wouldn't have that flexibility that they had before.
0: Yeah. I'm just thinking what the awesome economic (laughs) lesson there is that, okay, let's do a hard Brexit. And then all of a sudden, Oh, it would be a good idea to have free mobility of labor. Oh, it would be a good idea if we had a fixed well, exchange rate between our two currencies. So, oh. so, I think
2: I think this goes back to your previous question, Russ, and and because what's happening is the wind the winds are not blowing that way in Europe in general, and so you know once this Brexit vote got through, a lot of the folks in Brussels at the top of the European Parliament just went nuts because they're seeing this you know, erode their legitimacy. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden now in, in Eastern Europe, you have Hungary and Poland getting more and more tired of being dictated to from the Germans. You're seeing parties in Italy and Spain that are really gaining a lot of popular sort of, they're called regionalist parties where it's like, look, you know, Italy, Spain, you know, France, like maybe we can handle our thing. And you know, you wackos up in the Northern part Uh, of Europe, do your own thing, you know, and maybe we'll have these sort of coalitions, but they have, I mean, it, it is it is incredible to see the language that is being used by some of these people in the European Parliament, because they're just afraid that the UK is going to leave, and then that's going to give all of a sudden these other countries are going to say like, you know what, I don't know, yeah, independence, we should do. independence might be a good trade off for you know jobs and yeah. you know maybe maybe there's some kind of standard of living reduction that we would tolerate to have a little bit more control over our borders and some other things.
3: And then Germany left Greece as the only
2: one left that they
0: can pay They're a lot only of. they're
3: only whipping boy
2: to beat around. here. Yeah.
3: We also see the argument just being played out in purely bathtub economics
2: uh, verbiage. I want to Congress learn
3: about better. bathtub economics. You know, so well, it, bathtub economics is you know, well, this is, you get a bigger bathtub under this system, or whatever, oh, right? Okay. Where it's just uh, you know, in terms of you know GDP or whatever. But there is a question about when you are permitted to leave a union and. Are you permitted to do that against your own economic best interests? There are some cases when you are, right? When you are permitted to value your own sovereignty. Yeah. Um, And if that's the case, how do you decide as a people when to do that? Well, I mean, maybe you vote on it and... Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. I joined the you know the the golf club here, the the workout club, and I have the right to leave.
2: (laughs) But even when it's at the national level, I mean, maybe that's different because you've got you know it's not just one person deciding; it's a whole bunch of people together. But it's like, I think, I think maybe what you're trying to get at uh, subtly is that it's like we're doing all we're checking all the boxes that someone who wants these massive coalitions. Um, you know, the only way they would let someone get out of these massive coalitions. We're checking all the boxes and doing everything quote-unquote right. Well, it, shouldn't that be good enough? Like, <laughs> yeah. These
3: are surely the boxes that they want checked for these countries to enter a union, right? Right. Um, yeah. You want uh, majorities of people who are in a state to be okay with joining a union. Well, if they
2: vote then to leave it, I mean, what are we going to report? You have to shoot your way out of the EU? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that there's, I think a lot of this is getting seen through the lens of, you know, Doug Murray's book, the strange death of Europe, a lot of this migrant crisis stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why you're seeing Italy and some of these Mediterranean States that are, that are kind of also kind of turning their, their minds a little bit more towards this. And yeah, I think the too. arguments in that book,
0: cause that, that might've fueled more of this unrest than what people are willing to right to it's amend. like well,
2: we we don't have to listen to germany and brussels we don't have to do everything they're telling us we can actually just have our own borders and you know if sweden wants to let in two million people a year from wherever they can but that doesn't mean you know italy or the uk has to do that. all right
0: well that looks like a good place to to make a break i think after break i'd like to come back with some connections here to uh we've talked a bit on previous podcasts on the united states and federalism and uh Are we seeing our government get too big like Brussels and that we could use a push down to the state level here in the United States? So after that, after the break, we'll get back.
1: By 2030, the Gortney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. The Institute will be a nationally recognized source for knowledge and contributions to student experience, society's understanding of private and public solutions to poverty and the overlap of markets, governance, and faith. Young audiences will look to the Institute for challenging and engaging education on faith and economics. The Gortney Institute is seeking a graduate assistant. Earn your MBA with full tuition by participating in fun and impactful events. For more information, check out our Gortney Institute website. The Gortney Institute has now expanded into philosophy thanks to the generous grant from the Menard family. We're developing a philosophy, politics, and economics major. For more information, contact our Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics, Dr. Justin Clark. Mm
0: Okay, so we're back, and uh, we've got a few topics to hit here. So I left with the cliffhanger on thinking about the United States and federalism, and I've commented it before that I'm not so sure the United States wouldn't be a better place if we had substantially less taxing and spending authority at the federal level and allowed states to do their own thing i think it's kind of a pipe dream but i think it's closer to what the founders envisioned that we wouldn't have this uh kind of eu situation going on where there starts to be growing power but the reason i bring it in uh, because kind of the eu is an image of that in a sense right because their individual countries are operating fiscally independent of brussels right in
2: theory brussels uh they might U- say it's a bit of a confederation of states yeah
0: yeah i mean that's what i mean it, it, it's uh it's kind of interesting that way that um uh, but maybe the brexit would be you know california wanting to break away from the united states or something maybe maybe it wouldn't be a I'm, I'm willing to hear some pushback on that but i yeah. i just think uh a lot of the issues we face today in the United States uh, might be made better if we all kind of had this acceptance that I'll be me, you be you, you live in Seattle, I'll live in Kansas, right? Or whatever. We have mobility of people. I think it to me kind of ties into this rural flight in a sense that we have this part of our identity maybe tied too tightly in a sense to place and I'm not sure that's healthy for the economy. And I think that's maybe true at the state level as well. But uh, I don't know. I, I just those are, those are some of my thoughts.
2: Well, I think one of the things that you run into with this in, in the U.S. context is that anyone who opposes any kind of decentralization of economic or social regulations of any kind the opposite side will just simply call them a neo-confederate you mm-hmm. know, pro-slavery racist, blah, blah, blah. Um, you want to bring back Jim Crow? You want to do this? You want to do that? Yeah. And so the conversation doesn't really get off the ground. And the, 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 which is unfortunate. Well, that, sure. That it, <coughs> which which is, almost, which is why when I said that I was happy about Brexit, someone called me a, you know, neo-confederate. And I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense, man. Like, like if anything, you would call me like a, like, are you are calling me like a, 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 a loyalist? Like in the American revolution, like, what does that mean? But the thing is you don't have that kind of thing in Europe. And so there isn't, there isn't a sort of social um, pushback mechanism that works that way. You know, I, I, I've been thinking a lot recently about regulatory stuff. And, and, you know, obviously that's one of the biggest things that the federal government does is, is regulatory, you know, and we have, some of the regulatory agencies at the federal level will just make rules that then the States have to, the States have to pay for the enforcement of right. the Unfunded right. of
0: things Unfunded mandates.
2: Right. And so, you know, what I've been thinking about is like, I'm pretty sure that almost every regulation is a, is a, a, a regret. It's sort of like a regressive tax. So like any, anytime you have a regulation on someone, inevitably the poorest people are going to be the hardest hit by it. Yeah, right? so absolutely. Like, and yeah. so and so the thing is it's like if you're going to allow if you're if you're going to have these types of regulations well then you want the smallest political unit possible making a decision about what those regulations are because then they're right they're they're at the best you know it's it's better for them to be able to decide what those trade offs ought to be. Mm-hmm. And and sort of imposing them at the level of you know 438 Uh, Legislator, well, 538 legislators in a a tiny little area in a city in the East Coast, you know, deciding for 350 million people in how much their food is going to cost. It's it's there's a lot of unnecessary stuff there.
0: Well, that argument you just made is really the argument pushing it further down to the individual level, right? The libertarian argument is to say let's push that all the way down further, which in some cases ignores some of the important. Interactions and it's impossible to not have the interdependence that we do. So, where does that stop? Where does it end? I, to me, the it's wonderful to see what's going to happen in sanctuary cities. I, I say that like wh- whatever side of the fence you're on. <laughs> Whenever, it's already happening in California. Well, <laughs> exactly. And I, I just, I saw a clip uh, just yesterday or the day before on, on the tent cities in, you know, San yeah. Francisco. Hypodermic needles, human feces. It's awful, but that is a part of the policies that were put in place. And so then mm-hmm. it, it's okay, though. Like, if we all had this understanding, like, it's perfectly within a city's right or a state's right to have a policy that attracts more you know, homeless people, because it, it's more benefit. That's okay, but let's not all of a sudden have that be a normative thing, like, oh, the whole United States of America should have that same policy. That's actually where we go wrong, because we have it perfectly designed already that that will either succeed or that will fail or, or the morality of people will be higher there and people in other states where they think that that's the better morals to have will move there and people who are stuck in Seattle that says this sucks... We'll say, "Oh, I'm going to move to a different place," and all of a sudden, people are meeting their individual objectives and goals that, as
3: they perceive them, as they decide pursuit of their happiness. So, isn't there a little bit of a problem with that, though, that gets revealed in some of the EU's problems, with, for instance, the uh, Greece versus uh, you know Greece austerity versus you know versus Germany issues, where when one of those areas takes policies that fail, yeah. right? And then at what point, uh, if we have a monetary union, yeah. and they're all tied together, at least in some way. I point, got two words for you. It's real simple. It has to be plastered
0: in, in every courthouse throughout the nation, at the city level, county level, state level, no bailout. What you do is what you have to live with. If there yeah. was no bailouts and people knew that that was a real thing, that there wasn't going to be federal money flooding in. Now, those are things that were designed by policy that they had discretion on, right? We still maybe have, you know, federal funds set aside. I'm not against, uh, you know, flood help and natural disaster help and, you know, that sort of thing. But when it comes down to you screwed up because you designed a policy with either too much spending, too high taxes, too low of spending too low of taxes if that I think that's possible too but just let everybody decide but you got to live with the consequences See, so this, this is where are.
2: I think the the limits of our vaunted profession Russ uh, <laughs> become very clear and that you know just I mean maybe I'm an anthropology or, or in, so, in sociology space or something here but I just think that you know that's nice but nobody you know that's a nice story but nobody's ever going to let that happen like <laughs> nobody's ever going to just say that like this this 90-year-old lady you know <laughs> well it was you know it was her fault that you know she became a, a you know a a, a windsuit you know manufacturer and now she's lost all of her money because <laughs> the 80s are over You know, it's like you know what is this let her starve in the street nobody's ever going to do that okay. you know, these are our people we're going to help them uh, here i know? have
0: a caveat to that and i have the answer <clears throat> i think i think it's a good one anyway is that we are not those awful people that are going to let that 90 year old go. It's a matter of who's going to help. If the government has a strong stance of no bailout and there's no way that'll do it. You can't tell me the Catholic church, Levi wouldn't maybe step up and help the 90 year old. No, I guy? think, I think they... so my point is voluntary yeah. organizations will yeah. fill the void instead of everybody turning, Oh, there's a problem government. What can you do for right. me? Like if we took that off the table somehow, we would, we, people would still be taken care of. We still love people. We, we still. Right. Like- so
2: I, I, I think the issue is that like, so I've, I've started thinking about, you know, 6,000 years of recorded human history in terms wow. of like, of like one person's lifetime, That'll keep you know? Up at night. like an 80 year old. Right. Okay. And so like things that that 80 year old has only been doing for like the last 20 minutes are probably not like, necessarily sustainable things. Right. And so, <laughs> yes, we had, you know, the 1500s happened and we certainly had the enlightenment through the next couple 300 years and all that. And, you know, we got this idea that well, we can just, you know, but, but, but governments, states, whatever you want to call them throughout human history have always helped the poorest people. And it's like, I don't know it's like, I'm becoming more of an empiricist. You know what I mean? It's I like if, I, if I, 99 and a half percent of the back, cases, the there I, was, there was this thing that happened. It's like, why am I beating my head against a brick wall trying to get it to stop happening? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like improving it, making it more efficient, making it better. Yeah. Sure. But like, I, I, I just feel like it's... that's
0: where I come back to is I think <clears throat> the level that it's at right now of government assistance is too high. And so the direction to head is that, that away rather than that away. Right. right? Uh, for those of you listeners, I'm pointing to my left and then I'm pointing to my right, as I say that way. So I, I think ultimately that I'm, I'm with you on that, that it, it really empirically here's where, what is the status quo and what's a better direction to head? I don't, I don't think right. utopias with the government doing nothing by the way. In fact, right, I really right. do think those government safety nets acting kind of like a big insurance policy. There's, there's some efficiencies there that, that can be gained, but I think uh, perhaps what we have right now is, is
3: too large. Well, let me tell you where I was going with it. Okay. My point was that uh, maybe we should look at if the problem is treating states like companies that are too big to fail, and when uh, things go wrong, we have to keep bailing them out, and your solution was we, should, we shouldn't we should bail them out. Yeah. Um, and Levi is saying, well, we do bail them out, right? Uh, and good luck stopping that. Yeah. And We can pass as many laws as we want, saying... We are really serious this time, and we're not going to do it. But we're so weak. So not going to do it. What is the entity? uh, How is it even possible that these bailouts continue to happen? And maybe one of the things that makes that possible is something like the Federal Reserve. Okay. Yeah. There you go. If we had a much harder currency where to actually dump money into a state, we had to literally take it from other states. (laughs) Uh, I think it would be a lot more feasible to enforce this kind of no bailout policy that we're talking about. I I feel like people are
0: getting a little better about mobility uh, in today's day and age due to technology, due to low-cost air, gasoline, travel. So... Again, I, I, I think if we can remove that historical attachment we have to, I'm from Minnesota, and I have the right to live here.
2: It's like, if things are going bad, just move somewhere else. Move. To well, wherever. so I, I'll give you Tucker Carlson's response to this. He's like, because <laughs> you know, he was stuck in with venture parents. He's like, so you want them to just just uproot and leave. Like, leave their, oh, yeah. you know, leave their, their families, way. leave their, you know, the, the places where their grandparents are buried, you know, the communities that they've had in their whole lives, just just so they can serve some corporate master, I think is what he said. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know, I don't know. Like, maybe small is beautiful or something yeah. like that. I yeah, don't agree with the
3: corporate master part, but yeah. Well, so here's the other response is, Russ, you're just talking about people who vote one way in one state uh, to enact policies that don't work, and then moving with their feet yeah. to a state that does work. They're going to vote for the same policies yeah. here.
2: Don't don't California my Texas, right?
3: Uh,
0: okay, I would
2: disagree with you there, Justin. That I think. And he's from California, so he would know what it's a, like to California. There's, the state.
0: A, there's so. a stickiness that exists currently that is not bringing us to a better place, and that stickiness is that the people who are voting against those terrible policies—they live in California too. And not everybody agrees. Lock, stock, and barrel. They live in Seattle too, right? But they're, they have this stickiness that I'm talking about, that they're not willing for multiple reasons. Maybe it was where their parents are buried and all that. I'm not trying to dismiss that. But at the same time, I think there would be some healthy vibrancy that comes up with, uh, with an America that feels free to, to
2: in, in, in In four cities, and then the rest of the country would just be a giant wasteland, like some kind of, <laughs> some kind of horrible, uh, you know, 80s uh, dystopia, right? <laughs> Chainsaws.
3: Chainsaws. Well, kind of, Chainsaws. kind of an analogy for you. It's like growing up, you're supposed to make decisions and kind of feel your consequences, but then if you have like this mother bird parent hovering <laughs> over you, Yes. Bailing you out on all your decisions, you can't really figure out life for yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good point. And that's, uh, uh, I, I think the, there's a lot of decisions that are made that are just with a knowledge that, hey, yeah, th- 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 i almost sure they would bail me out like you don't know for sure but I think of like young people making certain decisions on where to move and if they fall into trouble like if I really had to I don't want to ask my parents for money but I could and so they take more risks than maybe a person who they've always been independent their mom and dad are both drunk drug addicts and they know that whatever they do it's them it's all on them a hundred percent there's no bailouts coming and that you know it's nice to have those bailouts i you know it's nice to know that there's something there, but uh that's a fine line on too much and too little um and I think at the federal level, we would be healthier to move to less of that that's a blanket that covers the entire United States and move more towards uh power to the states,
2: sure. yeah
0: so. Well, that looks like a good place to wrap. Uh, fairly entertaining. Uh, we stuck to Brexit most of the first half. That second half might not. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody mentioned anything too. That's what's fun about these podcasts. So, uh, on behalf of all my hosts, I'd like to uh, co hosts I'd like to thank all of you for listening. This has been a production of the Gorton Institute at Ottawa University. Um, If you feel so inclined, you like what you hear, please uh, make us a uh, permanent uh, download on your podcast app, on your favorite podcast app. That'll help us rise in the ranks. And so other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.